All right. I'd like to turn to one of my favorite passages in Scripture to start today. Philippians chapter 2. We'll read the first five verses. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as, as Christ Jesus. This is a wonderful passage from the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Philippi. A lot has been said here. A lot could be said of what Paul writes. But there's this emphasis on how we live life with other people, especially within the church. A couple of weeks ago, we started to share some thoughts on our hopes for 2021, with these churches coming together. And my desire for this thing that is coming together, of, of all the things I want us to be, my hope is that we develop a culture of goodness as God's people here in North Phoenix. A culture of goodness, we talked about how this word good comes from the Hebrew word tov. And, and God is tov, God is good. God calls us to be good. As we abide in him, that goodness flows out of us. We produce good fruit. This word's used over 700 times in scripture. And we talked about as cultivating goodness as a, as a church, one of the things that it requires is empathy. Last week we talked about how empathy allows for us uh, to, to connect with one another. But here's the, the premise for today. These thoughts about developing a culture of goodness. A culture of goodness puts others first. A culture of goodness puts others first. As Philippians 2 reminds us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. A culture of goodness is a people-first culture. We put others first. This last week, we lost Joanne Rogers. Some of you know Joanne Rogers. She was the, the wife of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. If you are like me, you grew up watching Mr. Rogers. The show was on for something like 33 years. When I think about a couple and a person who puts others first, I think of Fred, I think of Joanne. We know who Joanne is because of Fred, but we probably know who Fred is because of Joanne, being able to uh, be behind the scenes. Just recently, they, they came out with a, a, a movie or a documentary about uh, Mr. Rogers' life. But one thing that was uh, said in a book that was written about him called The Good Neighbor, Maxwell King, that I think captures uh, Fred's uh, emphasis on putting others first. He says, talking about the rhythm of Fred Rogers, he got up every morning between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. to read the Bible and prepare himself for the day before he went to the Pittsburgh Athletic Association to swim. But Rogers' preparation was not so much professional as it was spiritual. He would study passages of interests from the Bible, and then he would visualize who he would be seeing that day so that he would be prepared 
to be as caring and as giving as he could. Fred's prayers in those early morning sessions were not just for success or accomplishment, but rather for the goodness of heart to be the best person he could be in each of the encounters he had, he would have that day. Fred had this rhythm of his life where he would read scripture, he would pray, and he would visualize the people that he, were, he was going to meet that day. It's an interesting way to, to start your day, not just thinking of success or accomplishment, but who you would interact with. Culture of goodness puts others first, and if you know anything about Mr. Rogers, his whole show was a culture of goodness. But here's how it plays out in the church world. And here's some, just some thoughts on us joining these churches together that I think are practical when it comes to developing this culture of goodness, putting others first. Uh, the first is that when we put others first, we put others first by prioritizing relationships over rituals. We prioritize relationships over rituals. And we have all sorts of rituals as, church, as a church. There's a story in Luke chapter 6 uh, that talks about how, uh, how this plays out. It says in verse 1, On one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, Why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Well, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what was lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went to the synagogue and was teaching. And when uh, a man was there whose hand was shriveled, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Jesus said, Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up. Stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And he looked around at them, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious, and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. It's a story of... Uh, Jesus, who's, who's trying to, to follow these rituals, these things that are sacred, these rhythms that are spiritual formation of the Sabbath. Another, uh, I think Mark says uh, in this, that, that the Sabbath was not created, man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for man. It's something supposed to be life-giving. And in this story, it stops being life-giving. There's an opportunity for healing, and Jesus decides to heal. The religious people, the Pharisees, have a hard time with this. They, they miss the, the healing, because they're so caught up in the ritual. And obviously, this is something that's sacred, right? We have this in the Ten Commandments. This is something that, is, that, that we should uphold as a Sabbath. It's a good thing. But there's something that happens within uh, religious organizations, and, and we see this with the Pharisees so often, is, is sometimes that, that ritual gets placed before the, the person. And the thing that's supposed to be life-getting becomes burdensome and actually can hinder the thing that God is up to. When we think about the church, the church is intended to help people, not burden them. The things that we have that are sacred, these rituals that we have, we do uphold them, we don't throw them out, but we understand that they're used to give life. The church should use sacred practices to give life to other people. 
when we put the relationship above the ritual. I've got a friend that uh, is in the midst of uh, merging a church, and as I'm you know, trying to think about you know, how do we join these together in the best way, where are some of your experiences? And I didn't know if I wanted to share this story, but then I felt like I think I, I can. Uh, he talked about how they're, they're in this older building, uh, this other part of town, and you know, they're this young congregation with a bunch of, of kids, and uh, they, they were looking around the building, and they realized there was this room uh, that used to be like a kid's ministry room, and now it was just being used for storage. And so there was all sorts of decorations and storage in this room. And, and so he was asking, you know, I, I wonder, could we, do, you, do you think we'd be okay if we cleared this room out and allowed the children's ministry to meet in here? And the response was, well, we can't do that. And he said, well, well oh, why not? What, is there something wrong? Is there like mold in it? Like what's going on? And they said, well, we can't do that because where would we store all the flowers? And the response was, oh, it, that, okay. I tell that story because I think that happens all the time with us. I, I, I have time, things, it, we all do that. Don't we have these things that we hold on to and, and, and it just is the rhythm of the way things are supposed to be and why would we let those go? But, but oftentimes what happens is God's doing something and he's, he's doing a work and, and we, we're sitting there thinking, well, what, what about all the flowers? Well, there's this new thing that's happening here that's breaking out. Sometimes we, we put the ritual before the relationships. Even as a, a, a church plant that's six years old, it's amazing what type of rituals and things that we hold sacred in six years. It doesn't mean that we throw away those things. What it means is we realize uh, when we hold on to certain things that are, are, are hindering God from, from new things happening, connecting with new people, we put others first. We want to connect with people for Jesus. The second thing is we put others first by loving as Jesus loves John 13, 34 through 35 says, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. If you love one another, a new command that I give you, love one another as I have loved you, you love one another. We put others first by loving as Jesus loves. What's fascinating about this story is as Jesus is telling his disciples to love one another. It's the same passage where he predicts that Judas will betray him and that Peter will deny him. And he's saying that we love each other, and it's not based on the actions of those two men. He loves because this is who Jesus is. He loves others. His love isn't based on the actions. Jesus sees people as children of God, even in the midst of what they would do to him. Jesus sees People created in the image of God, and therefore they're valued and loved. Jesus came in the world to die for those, even those who were about to betray him. If we want to be others first, we have to love as Jesus loved. Romans 5, 6, and 8 says, You see, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for the righteous person, though a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've answered a lot of questions uh, to paradise people. Is what kind of a, a church is Desert City? What kind of people are coming in here? Here's what I would say about Desert City. is about, You're about to get a bunch of sinners. A bunch of sinners are coming in here. And, uh, and I'm one of them. And when we think about the, the, the churches that are coming together, I, I know Desert City, and there's a lot of beautiful things about it. We're also just a group of sinners that are in need of, of redemption, 
of, of salvation. Each one of us has fallen. And I, I think paradise people would say, well, you're about to meet a bunch of sinners too. All of us are broken. My dad used to tell me there's a simple math for marriage. When a husband and wife come together, he says, I remember him talking about this and, and premarital counseling with people and giving sermons about marriage. He says, here's the marriage math. One sinner plus one sinner equals two sinners. And then you add all these little sinlings to the, the mix and you try to figure out how to live life together. And with Desert City, we've got people who are sinners. With Paradise, we have people who are sinners and we're about to get a whole bunch of little sinlings on this campus. But in the midst of all of that, while we were still sinners, Jesus loved us and died for us. And if we want to develop this culture of goodness where we put others first, we love each other in the midst of our sin, in the midst of the things that are broken, in the midst of the things that we get wrong, we create an environment where we still love. We're about to mix a bunch of sinners together. But because of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he shows us, we develop this culture of goodness as we love as Jesus loved. This is how God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's love each other in the midst of that. The third thing is that we put others first by committing to the one another passages. Going back to this John 13, 34 through 35, it says, A new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. This one another phrase is, has become important to me and, and important to the churches that I'm a part of when you talk about vision and strategy and all those things are good. But this one another phrase, it happens over and over again in the New Testament. In fact, there's 30 different commands about how we live life with one another that we're called to commit to in a church community. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another then as Christ accepted you. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, 14 says, instruct one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another humbly in love. Ephesians 4, to be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. There's more it's found in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. Hebrews 3 says, encourage one another daily, not just on Sunday, encourage one another daily. Hebrews 10.24, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 John 1.7, fellowship with one another, on and on and on. Living life with one another, serving for one another, praying one another, encouraging one another, instructing one another. There's a, a, a commitment to community where you, you just, you do life together. Eugene Peterson calls this walk with God, with, with the church, and with individually. It's this long obedience in the same direction. One of the things that I've been so inspired by here, as I've gotten to know Paradise people, is I, I've been going to the, the Tuesday morning men's breakfast, and it's good food. It's good breakfast food, uh, if anything else. But the first time I was in that group, I just sat and listened to story after story of, 
of the men and their families who've been a part of this community here for a long time, years. And, and so many of them had been here from the beginning. And as they started to, to talk about you know, all the different experiences they've had in this church, they've done life with one another for a long time. I remember like the first time I had sat in that, I was like, this is what I've always wanted for Desert City. The, the core group of people, the people who've been a part of this the first six years, 30, 40 years down the road, not sure how old, how old some of those guys are, that we would be together saying we've done life with each other and we've gone through seasons of, of, of blessing, seasons of, of deep valleys. We've gone through all sorts of different things, but we've done life one another with one another. There's this long obedience in the same direction. And a church commits to these one another's, develops this, this culture of goodness where we hang with each other in the midst of all the things that we know, all the things that we've done. We love as Jesus loves. We put relationships first. And the fourth thing is that we put others first by getting out of our comfort zone. We put others first by, putting, by getting out of our comfort zone. And here's what I mean. We don't just invite friends we are willing to make new friends. And that's not easy to do. To be willing to make new friends. Because life is good when we hang out with our own friends, people who are comfortable for us. And that's great. And that's part of the church. But there's something that happens when we're willing to be uncomfortable to say, I'm going to meet new people. To share with them this love of Jesus. To invite them into this story of what God is doing. I have to be willing to make new friends, not just Invite my friends. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the story of the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and, and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, the very end of age. This is right after the resurrection. He's with his disciples, and he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And the very next thing he says is he delegates this mission to his disciples. He says, go. He doesn't say, just go to people who you're comfortable talking to, or just go to your friends. He says, go to the nations. Go out. Get out of your comfort zone. Go. One of the things that uh, was one of the most eye-opening experiences my wife and I had. From Phoenix, grew up here, had a pretty nice life growing up in Paradise Valley Village. Everyone knew us. For two years, we went to Texas, a mission trip to a foreign country, and uh, spent some time working with a church there. And for the first time in our life, we didn't know people, and people didn't know us. We had to meet new people. It was challenging. It was really hard. There was uh, uh, something, especially doing ministry in a context where you don't know people, uh, something that stretched us and, and, and it grew us. And in the midst of this challenging season, it also reminded us that the, the mission of the church is we have to be willing to meet new people. We have to be willing to go out of our comfort zone to, to make new friends. People from different backgrounds, people from different walks of life, people that look different than us to go out of our comfort zone, to share the gospel, to invite people into the church. This last year has been a, a year of disorientation for a lot of people. I know even with, with Desert City is, 
we've, we've, it's almost a year, I mean, we're coming up on the middle of March, almost a year since we've had like our normal rhythm as a church. And it's crazy to think that it's been that long. I think if you would have told me that we wouldn't have our normal rhythm of church until the end of the year back in March 2020, I would have had a meltdown. I, I kept thinking it was going to be the next month and the next month. And, and, and what's amazing in this year of disorientation is that the world has changed. One of the ways that the world's changed is the world's gone virtual, right? I had a friend telling me that uh, he works for this uh, uh, company that does uh, medical equipment and gets sent all over the world. And this year he hasn't traveled at all. And he said, I, I, think, I, I don't think I'll ever travel again. We, we've completely figured out this virtual thing. And the company used to send me all over the world. And he's like, it, it's amazing how much money we save by just doing things virtually. The, the world is changing and we don't always like it. Uh, doesn't mean we have to like it. Uh, but the world is changing. And one of the, the ramifications for, for us in our community is, uh, especially North Phoenix, is already a very transient place. People move in and out. We've seen two or three families from our community move. And the reason they moved was, I can work anywhere now. I don't need to be, I could, I could. so a lot of them have moved back east or up north, places where they're near family. And we've seen a couple of our, our really key families move. This has been a year of disorientation. But what that also means is that there's a lot of people moving here to Phoenix. A lot of people moving into this community. A lot of people that have uh, decided to, 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 to come to the sunshine. I can work anywhere. Phoenix is a pretty great place to live. There's a lot of new people here. As a church, as we move forward, are we willing to meet these new people? Are we willing to go out of our comfort zone to make new friends? It's a season that's going to be filled with meeting new people. As things start to reopen, and as we talk about this regathering plan in the next two weeks, and as things start to reopen, as the numbers from the pandemic, uh, God willing, starts to come down, it is going to be a season of meeting a lot of new people. Are we ready for that? We put others first by getting out of our comfort zone, inviting them into our life. I want to close with this passage in Romans that I think describes this others first culture pretty well. And it's a passage that was summarized by Eugene Peterson, and I, I just love how it talks about life within a church. To put others first, here's the word starting in Romans uh, verse nine, 12, chapter 12, verse 9. It says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. 
I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scripture tells us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch, or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you, but get the best of evil by doing good. So we cultivate goodness as these churches come together. We put people first. Relationship over our rituals. It doesn't mean we throw away the rituals, but we don't let them hinder God's work in a person's life. We love as Jesus loved, loving us as we were sinners. We love others in the midst of our brokenness. We love because God first loved us. We commit to life together, doing life with one another, encouraging, serving, taking care of, instructing, praying for. We go out of our comfort zone to do this. We put others first. Just as Jesus does, just as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your love for us. And we're grateful for the church, Lord. What a gift a church can be to a community in a world that is divisive, in a world that is dark. As the body of Christ, Lord, we want to just model your love. We want to experience it. We want it to flow out of us to others. Lord, we want to be a church that is on the move for you. That is on mission. Lord, a church that is uh, reaching out to others. Lord, a church that is welcoming so people can find a home. Lord, we ask that you would continue to develop goodness in us individually, as a community. That you continue to mold us to be more like you. Lord, today I just ask that as we continue to go through this series that you would just continue to tweak our hearts. That you continue to guide our conversations. We're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful that you are good. It's in your name we pray. Amen.